Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP. This week on TWIP, Nikon settles a D600 class action lawsuit and music artists who don't like having their photographs taken, plus Manchester United bans iPads and tablets from their stadium. It's Monday, August 18th, 2014, and this is TWIP. And welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today to discuss the world of photography and some other things like matrimony. But a, a couple of other things are Mr. Valerie, Miss Valerie Jardin and Mr. Don Komareska. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hey, guys. Good. Hello. Great to be back. All right. You know what, uh, Don... We haven't had you on in a while, and apparently some life-altering events have happened. Apparently, you're old enough to get married, and no one knew. What's going on? <laughs> apparently, and it's happening at the end of this month, on August 31st, and I'm really excited for it. Wow. Congratulations, first of all. Happy you. for you. Yeah. You're the second Twipper in, was it this year? I think the second Twipper in 18 months at least, because uh, Mr. Ron Brinkman just recently jumped the broom, and now it's your turn. <laughs> Look at that. Congratulations, man. So uh, so you, why were you hiding this mystery woman, or was it just like a love at first sight running in slow motion towards each other across the, you know, the busy parking lot or something? Uh, no. I, you know, we've been dating for quite a long time, six and a half years or so. Uh, so it's uh, something of a, of a long engagement, and, nice. and she, she's my better half. She keeps me grounded and, uh, and often inspired. You know, I... Being a professional photographer means I've got to give a lot uh, to that job, and and she encourages it. And uh, you know, I'm so happy that I've got her. And uh, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, you know we're going on our honeymoon to Bulgaria, which is her home country, and I've been there a couple of times, which I may have mentioned on the show before. So I haven't been hiding her entirely. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, that'll be a lot of fun. And uh, shortly thereafter, I'm heading off to the Yukon for a another photographic expedition in Canada's north. Wow. So uh, it's going to be a pretty Fun, uh, a fun couple of months, and then coming back into the fall, I've got uh, a documentary series that did an episode on me called "The Nature of Things" that uh, it's produced by CBC here in Canada, and that's going to kick off a whole winter of, uh, of some busy activity, picking up with my macro work in the winter again, and it's yeah. just nonstop. But uh, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad I'm back on Twip. It's always fun to be part of this conversation. It's always good to have you on, man. Yeah, winter's coming. That's your that's your native habitat there when the when the snowflakes start falling, right? Yeah, that's half the year up here. Yeah. Well. Well. Cool. Well, we got lots of stuff to talk about on this show, so let's get this thing cranking. Valerie, welcome. Always a pleasure having you on. You you lend that culture sort of seasoning to this week in photo. Thank you for coming. What's going on in your world? Uh. Well, it's been very busy. Um. Preparing for another round of workshops. Uh. Leaving in a month. Back to France, and then following with New York and so forth. And then I've been well, busy. You just got back from France. You were just there like five minutes ago. Back actually a month, and I'm heading back in a month. So, uh, so it's nice. I'm I'm really happy to be able to go back home more often now. So it's and I love teaching the workshop. So it's kind of uh, it's win-win for sure. Yeah. And um, so I've been busy as a master at the Arcanum and uh, teaching street photography. And, uh, well, I've been busy with other things because I've been reco recording a few episodes for our upcoming uh, TWIP sub-channel. It? Uh, it's a TWIP channel. It's not a sub-channel. It is a, it is <laughs> a, a channel. channel on this <laughs> photo, yes. So should I give a teaser? I think you should. Well, first of all, what's, what's well, I guess your teaser will tell us what it is. What's okay, it so this is how it's going to sound when I start. Bonjour. And welcome to another episode of Street Focus, an ongoing exploration of urban photography. I'm your host, Valérie Jardin. Wow. There you go. That's I gonna like be it. the that's gonna be the the intro line. So that's pretty cool. A, a street photography podcast, uh, part of Twip, 
but its own podcast, and I'm excited because uh, we're a growing uh, community in the street photography world, and we need our own show. We have a lot to talk about, so. Yeah, it's going to be big, yeah, and part of what, what's keeping, you know, the me, I was going to say the TWIP crew, but really it's just me. But busy putting all this stuff together is the site. We're redesigning the entire site. There are channels that are popping up on there. There's content. There's a store. There's, it's insane what's uh, what's about to break loose onto the photography industry. And Valerie, your show, as you know, will be one of the first ones that uh, that hits the that hits the stream. So thank you. Ready when you are. I know. My <laughs> fingers hovering over the button to bring the light to bring the site live. It's crazy. Crazy. But it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. All right, guys, let's move on. Uh, before we continue with this show, I want to thank our sponsor for this episode of This Week in Photo, and that's our good friends over at Squarespace. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, just go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP. And remember, the new Squarespace metric app for iPhone and iPad allows you to check site stats like page views, unique visitors, and social media follows. And with the blog app, you can make text updates, tap and drag images to change layouts, and monitor comments on the go. You can start a free trial. You don't need a credit card. You can start building your website today. Then, when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, just make sure to use the offer code TWIP, that's T-W-I-P, to get a full 10% off and to show your support for this week in photo. And we'd like to thank Squarespace for their support. Squarespace is everything you need to create an exceptional website. All right, the first story up is about Nikon. You know, they were... When I was shooting DSLRs, Nikon was my camera of choice. It still is. I still have my Nikon gear and all my glass, and though it is a little dusty, admittedly, but I still have all my Nikon stuff. I refuse to part with it. But uh, apparently, there's been a couple of class action suits against Nikon about the sensor spec issue found on some of the D600 cameras, and it looks like one of them has been settled. And it's been settled in the best possible way for the photographers that are participating in the suit. So according to an email from fredmiranda.com or the forum over there, D600 users who are part of the Zimmerman and Reed lawsuit have until November 30th, 2014, to complete a few simple steps. And they'll get, wait for it, a brand new D610 completely free. So the backstory on this is Nikon came under fire from consumers after more and more users started complaining about an unusual amount of dust buildup on the sensors of their D600. And Nikon initially said, yeah, whatever. They downplayed the complaints. But as more and more people started uh, you know, complaining and the roar of the crowd grew, Nikon issued a service update offering free repairs but too little too late. By then, several class action lawsuits had been filed against Nikon, and this Zimmerman and Reed lawsuit is the first one to uh, to kind of bear fruit in the form of free D610s for all the, the photographers that are participating in it. Now, Don Komarechka, I'm going to throw this at you first, obviously because you're, I think, of the three of us, you still shoot DSLRs primarily because of the, the nature of the work that you do. But when you saw this, is this... Like being armchair quarterback and sitting in the Nikon CEO executive seat there, you know, you see these complaints start coming in. Do you, A, dismiss them and say, you know, hopefully, you know, a couple thousand people that are affected, you know, we'll just deal with them on a case by case? Or do you initially, when you see the first few, you say, okay, we have an issue, let's let's correct this before it goes to Zimmerman and Reed? What do you think? Well, see, from my point of view, camera sensors get dirty. Every uh, digital SLR will get, or even mirrorless camera, will get a dirty sensor. It's sort of the nature of the beast. Um, So, you know, it could be conceivable from the CEO's perspective that this is not sort of untoward. And and I, I think that Nikon's procedure for this is probably what would have been the smart thing to do. Because it is so... 
Yeah, it's so unbelievably costly for Nikon right now oh God, to be yeah. taking back all of their D600s. Right now, even if you're not part of the lawsuit, um, you can send back your camera to Nikon and they will replace the shutter mechanism and all the related pieces uh, and then send it back to you at no cost to you, even if it's out of warranty. Yeah. And uh, and then if the problem still persists, then call them back and they'll still try and fix the problem by giving you a new camera. And And so... I mean, that's for everybody. I don't know how many D600s they sold, but that is a huge hit for a company in Nikon's position right now. And I know they were in financial trouble and trying to diversify. I know that they had earmarked some money for medical imaging and trying yeah. to branch away from the digital SLRs because, to be honest, it seems like they might be hemorrhaging a little bit. Yeah. And, and this is not helping. Uh, the class action lawsuits are great, but I mean, you had to have been in uh, in one in order to to get this uh, outcome right now to be able to switch off your camera. Uh, and even if you weren't, well, you can get it repaired by Nikon at no cost. So I don't know if it matters too much to photographers, except just leaving a bad taste in everybody's mouth. Yeah, I can imagine being the you know one of the accountants over at Nikon, and this comes across your desk, and you're like. Are you kidding me right now? Seriously, <laughs> we got this. I gotta write a check for this now as well. I don't know, Valerie. Have you ever had anything like this happen to you, where you, you know, have one of your cameras just, just, you know, it start exhibiting manufacturer defects while you're in a job or something? You had to deal with it. No, luckily, uh, not a camera, just a tripod. Um, but uh, that, that's it. Um, never had any problem, but. I mean, that's why you always carry backup gear when you own a client job. I mean, because yeah. that can happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, what, do you, what do you think about Nikon? Did they, like, I, I posed the question to Don, did they do the right thing? Or should they have been more proactive? Or? Well, they, that probably would have cost them as much money if they had been more proactive. Right. You know, they probably would have just re, replaced the component, and not now they're sending free gear. Yeah. To those people, yeah. I don't know. It's uh, like in the age of the internet, though. To both yeah. of you guys, the age of the internet, you know, like hoping something will go away <laughs> if you just if you're just quiet about it doesn't seem like a winning strategy these days. I don't know. <laughs> it must it must well, have been a pretty big problem. I mean, yeah. it must have been a recurring. I mean, I know like my 5D Mark II, which I, I sold recently. Um, I never had. I, I don't think I ever cleaned the sensor. I never needed to. Yeah. Uh, it has that auto. Maybe they 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 got better, but um, but I, I used to clean my own sensors on all my gear. Yeah. I don't need to do that anymore. You don't shoot at f22 ever anyway, though, right? So you would never so would you would never see any dust. You're always wide I, open. <laughs> I can't change lenses, so I don't need to worry about dust. <laughs> I've, I've been known to shoot at f180 on occasion, so dust can be a big factor when oh. you're dealing with those uh, with those kinds of apertures. Um, but you know, it's funny because a couple of years ago, I uh, I had one of my lenses break on me in the field. Uh, I was in Istanbul, and my 24 to 105 uh, just stopped functioning. Period. It would give an error unless it was locked in at 24 millimeters, uh, and then I could maybe sometimes use it. And so researching this problem, I found out that, yeah, pretty predictably, if you use a 24 to 105 from Canon for three years or more, there's a little ribbon cable that moves back and forth uh, with the aperture assembly as you zoom the lens in and out. And it's just a manufacturing defect that it gets worn out and uh, it'll eventually snap. And uh, Canon, of course, will charge you for this. And so there's a lot of issues from other manufacturers. Nikon just got singled out for this one. Yeah. But it's they're not the only ones that are having this problem. But I guess there's not enough people complaining about these other little things because there's not enough of a public eye on it. Yeah. Um, I, and to make matters worse, the other lenses I had with me were my extreme macro lens, my 65mm macro lens, and my fisheye lens. Wow. So so I had no usable mid-range lens. I was just a tourist. I wasn't on a paying job, but, but you know, still, it, yeah. it, it still is a huge problem. Uh, camera manufacturers always reiterate their products. You'll find service advisories for little things, and sometimes even behind the scenes, when you send in a lens or any equipment for uh, you know something else, they'll you know behind the scenes they'll fix something, or in the manu manufacturing process they'll update a component that they saw wearing out prematurely, and it's just a silent upgrade. Yeah. These things happen. It's part of the business, and uh, Nikon got the worst end of that stick. Yeah, you're dealing with you know moving mechanical a moving precision mechanical instrument, you know, right? So, so okay, so Valerie, you get a pass on this next piece of the question because you don't actually take the lens off of your camera, so you don't have this issue. No, but I know how to do it really well. 
Oh, you do. Because, oh, okay. I well, was, then you take this. So how do you? I could how do you? Lenses. How do you? How do you make sure you don't get dust in there? And because you're on the street a lot, where where it's dusty, yeah, well, how do you how do you I mitigate mean, that? I always avoided changing lenses. I usually I was I was always a one camera and one lens on a photo walk. But occasionally on the job, I had to change lenses. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I even wrote an article on that. I'm just amazed at how poorly people do that all the time. It just makes me cringe. Either they're in a super dusty area and they're like changing their lens and they leave the lens, you know, the back the back element gets all the dust. There is dust on the back of the on the cap. Yeah. And then they put that without without removing that dust on their camera. There goes the dust on the sensor. Yeah. I always use the rocket blower, you know that red mm -hmm. rocket blower? Yeah. To dust the back uh, element of the lens, that I always kept that clean. I would dust it before uh, when I removed it, and I would always dust it before I put it back because the dust that and nobody does that. I mean, I swear, nine out of ten photographers don't worry about the back element of their lens, and that avoids. Why, why, do you, why do you need one of those rocket blowers? Can't you just blow on it and get the dust off? <laughs> God, I do that. <laughs> you can spit on it, but. Uh, <laughs> Spin on it and just wipe it off with your thumb. You yeah, know. exactly. Oh, I've seen. Well, I have to tell you a horror story. I was once in, um, you know, those uh, conservatory where you know it's 30 below zero in Minnesota, and you walk in there and it's tropical. Yeah. So people walk in there and their lens fogs up right away, which you know because they didn't take proper precautions. Yeah. And so um, I saw a guy once, actually. He thought the, the fog was inside the camera, so he removed the lens in this tropical area. And mm. with his shirt, he was inside on the, you know, wiping the inside on the sensor oh, with, the, with his shirt. And, oh. oh, my God. God. And I, I had to say something because I, I was just about almost in tears. By like, like fingers, fingernails on a chalkboard yes. for you, right? <laughs> yes. But, uh, I mean, common sense. You know, if you're in a windy area, protect your gear with your body to change it. Yeah. Change it on a flat surface. Always have, you know, always untighten the, the, the back uh, cap or yes the back cap so that you're ready to switch off and close it right away yeah. you can you can switch lenses in less than two seconds yeah and, uh, and ways, minimize the amount of time that either the back element of the yeah. lens or and or of course the sensor are exposed to the atmosphere yeah. right? and keep, your, and keep the, your camera facing down that whole time too yeah. um, I see a lot of a lot of careless people who who wonder why they have so much dust and they need to send the camera in for cleaning and it's really not that difficult to do yourself I'm, I, I remember the first time I, I cleaned my own sensor I went to the store asked them to show me how to do it and they sold me the stuff so mm -hmm. um, and it was after that I never sent it it was 50 bucks to have your camera sensor clean what well, was yeah. years ago Right. And um, sometimes they can't do it right away when you can do it at home. So it's yeah, uh, yeah it's fifty you know, bucks, and then the time that yes. you're out of a camera, right? Exactly. And there are plenty of tutorials out there to show you how to do it right. So yeah, Don Komareczka, what about you? Any tips on how to how to mitigate sensor dust while you're changing lenses? I, I'll echo uh, Valerie's ideas. You know, you want to try and change them quickly. Don't do it in a windy environment. And I've been guilty of this too. You know, trying to change lenses like outside in the open when you know my car is 10 feet away and I could easily just jump back inside and it's a much more controlled environment. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's how dust gets in there. Dust that's on the back element of your lens, it's probably not going to be visible on your pictures, but it's now in the sensor chamber when that mirror starts flapping around, right. and it'll find its way right onto the sensor. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I do my own sensor cleaning as well, and so I use um, a visible dust as a, as, as a nice setup with different swabs and what have you, but there's a lot of different companies that do that. And like Valerie said, you know, the little rocket blowers, this one has a little air filter on the back end to make it extra fancy. Cool. Um, but, you know, it's just... you. you Clean it off with a blower. That'll get rid of some of the big stuff. And you know, like Valerie was saying, you know, it it might cost a fair amount to get your sensor cleaned. And it's actually one of the things that I do for uh, friends and colleagues and that kind of stuff if they don't want to do it themselves. I had a sensor come to me the other day. I don't know how, but it had all these little microfibers all over the sensor, and God only knows what happened to the camera to get that there. Oh, uh, I know. So it's, it's my guy probably that used his shirt to. Put <laughs> it. <laughs> exactly. it was flannel. Were they like black and red? <laughs> I 
couldn't tell. They were too small. Uh, but it, some of those things really make me scratch my head. I've seen a lot of sensors that have oil spots uh, on them, and that's from the lubricant, I guess, and the mirror that's you know flapping around and getting uh, onto components. More on Nikon and Sony cameras than Canon cameras, though, uh, have I seen that. But lots of stuff ends up on there, and you know, teach yourself how to clean it. If you screw it up, it's not like your camera becomes a paperweight. I mean, it becomes a more expensive repair bill from the manufacturer, but it's very hard to screw it up if you're just being gentle and careful. So, uh, you know, take the plunge, learn to do it yourself, and it's far more convenient. You know, if you're going on a shoot the next morning, you can clean your camera the day before. Yeah, it's part of your going the war sort of, you know, flow of getting things ready the night before. And it's kind of, it's almost like changing your own oil, right? You, you most people don't do it, but you gotta. If you know how to do it, there's orders of magnitude of convenience that come along with not having to take your car in and making sure they do it right and they didn't forget to leave take leave the bolt off. You know, all that I, stuff. I had to change my oil last week and I still haven't done it. So yeah. you know, it's it's that point of convenience where you'll if you don't know how to do it yourself with your camera, you're gonna suffer through dirty pictures until it becomes so annoying that right. you just can't stand it anymore and you yeah. shouldn't have to put up with that. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you if they. I know how to clean my own sensors, but if it was as easy to clean my sensor as it is to get my oil changed, like, you know, you drive through and you sit in your car while you're doing email and they do it for you and you drive away for 30 bucks, then I would probably do it since it's not that convenient and involves being without my gear for a while. I got to ship it and wait for it to come back. And then there's, you know, did, did it get delivered? Did it get stolen off my porch? All this stuff, you know, it's, it's easier to just do it yourself. So, cool. All right. Well, kudos to Nikon for stepping up and taking care of their D600 with D600 customers with a D610. That's pretty awesome of them to do that. And like Don was saying, if you are not part of this class action lawsuit, then uh, you're still not out in the cold. You can send it in and they'll replace all the affected mechanisms for free and send it back to you. So, good stuff. All right, guys. Story number two. This is interesting. I'm really interested to hear what you guys think about this. Let me read it for the listeners. Uh, so it, basically, there's been a couple of recent news articles that highlight stories of musicians who don't appreciate having their photographs taken. In one story, guitar legend Peter Frampton confiscated an audience member's cell phone and threw it into the rafters after his repeated requests to stop taking photographs were ignored. The fan allegedly had flipped Frampton off and harassed other audience members and then continued taking photographs despite the request to stop. At the end of the set, Frampton asked to see the photographs the fan was taking, and when the unsuspecting fan handed the phone over, he chucked it. <laughs> to, to the delight of audience members. And then in another story, photographer Harry Arnold was hired to photograph a skateboard festival and was using a drone you know, like a DJI or some other type drone to photograph the action when bassist Spencer Pollard set his gear down and began chucking things at the drone. And eventually he was able to make use of his surface-to-air projectiles and he took the drone out of the sky, brought the drone to the ground. So, Valerie, I want to put this on you first. You see this, you see these guys and women presumably getting upset at photographers taking their photos. Is there anything that they can do? I mean, is this is it like spitting in the wind here? Because it's like everyone can take an image, and you're gonna single out one person that's being annoying, and then you're gonna you're you're a celebrity. So by the fact that you're getting mad and taking that fan's photos, it's making news, and now you're on yeah. Twitter. <laughs> and it looks it looks bad for everybody. In the first yeah. story, I mean, the the fan was obviously an idiot. I mean, first yeah, of, of all, if he if he was if he paid to go to that concert. Why would he be rude to the performer? I mean, right. obviously he he likes his music, so that was just bad. But why would the performer single out this one guy when hundreds of other people were doing the same thing? Yeah. yeah. And so that's what I don't get. Unless they had strict policies at that concert, and they did. he really was the only. Oh, they did. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So then it makes sense, and you know he got a little. Yeah, he, he went a little far. But uh, I can see how frustrating it must be, too. And if yeah. the guy was that rude and that obnoxious with the audience, I may have done the same thing. But, but okay, <laughs> but looking at this, Don, like you, you highlighted, so, yeah, there was, there was 
rules that you shouldn't have been doing this to begin with. But as the performer and the headliner of this, should you be taking it upon yourself to enforce said rule? Well, she <laughs> has to people with the VIP and the security T-shirts on to come take care of it. Well, they weren't there. I mean, uh, from what I read in, in the article, uh, and I read the the full thing, like Peter uh, Frampton was trying to find security people, but I mean, he was performing at the time, right? Yeah. And security can clearly be seen because this guy uh, was there with somebody else. Uh, and this couple, uh, he was recording with his phone, uh, which was one of the things they can't do. And she was using a digital SLR and using flash, and there's mm -hmm. no flash photography allowed. Right. So uh, I think that the annoyance was sort of both of them combined. And judging by the crowd's reaction after Frampton threw the phone and everybody was cheering, it sounds like they were all thinking the same thing. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, these people had the nerve. They arrived late, and, uh, and, and so uh, they were annoying people right from the get-go. But even after Frampton threw the phone, uh, this guy's uh, partner was continuing to shoot with Flash <laughs> after this event and had the audacity to stand in line and ask for Frampton's autograph afterwards. Wow. I would have given her an autograph, but it probably would not have been my name. <laughs> yeah, I, there's a few choice words I could have used. I, it would have started with an F, but probably wouldn't have been my name. I'm just saying. <laughs> I love Frampton, and, and I, I love him even more from this. I mean, he took matters into his own hands because nobody else was going to do anything about it, and it was hurting his performance. Yeah. And he's there for everybody, not for these one uh, or one or two people in the front row that think they own the show. Yeah, who ruined it for the rest of us, right? So. Yeah. 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 All this because they threw. I'm sure his performance suffered because he was agitated because this was going on. So I'm sure he wasn't performing at the height of his talent, right? Because you're looking at people flashing on you and all this stuff. So. Oh yeah, it's, it's disruptive. I mean, I I can't even imagine. So yeah, I I must have missed that in the story that there was actually somebody else with the flash too. That's really. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah, yeah. And this this other story also echoes this. So let me read this one. So this is story number three. It says, uh, if you're planning, this is what uh, Bruce wrote in the notes. He said, if you're planning on taking in a Manchester United game at Old Tafford uh, and you're planning to bring your tablet to capture some photos or video while you're there, think again. The photo club has issued a notice that iPads and other tablet devices will not be allowed into the stadium. Quote, sports fans are increasingly using iPads and similar devices to take photographs and videos in stadiums, raising fears that games could be filmed and copyright laws could be broken. So, why iPads? I don't get, <laughs> I don't get like, are you, like, Valerie, we were in, I don't know if you were with us, we were, when we were at the Eiffel Tower in Paris on your workshop, there were people there taking photos of the Eiffel Tower with their iPads. Oh. And I was like, Really? They're everywhere. I mean, they're at weddings. They're at um, kids' uh, pageants, what have you. Yeah. They're, they're everywhere, and they block the view for everyone else. Is I, that the issue? I get it. That's the issue? Well, of to me, that would make sense, because then why not ban the iPhone? It right. says tablets. So, uh, so we're talking something bigger than a phone. So yeah. it seems like it's more about obstruction of view than the pictures themselves, because, I mean, obviously people have iPhones that can take better pictures than iPads, so but why uh, not just what's say the that? problem? If that was the issue that it's, you know, we think you're you're deteriorating the experience of the fans that are behind you by using these large displays that are bright, we are thereby going to limit their use during these games. So why that say was, that? That was, part, that was part of the points, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, that was part of, that was one of the points. And, oh, that it was and blocking. And then the copyright, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Don, what do you think? Well, first of all, what do you think about this rule and people in general using iPads to take photographs? And then secondly, is this even enforceable? You know, because there's a lot of people that are in the stands there, and there are a lot of devices. I, I would think that an iPad is far more an enforceable rule than an iPhone, because the iPad is going to stand out like a gargantuan screen in relative to all the little iPhones. You'll be easy to spot the guy, and exactly by the same reason you don't want him there, because he's obstructing other people's view. In this case, I'm thinking that it's uh, it's just purely for the the enjoyment of other people. I mean, you don't need to bring an iPad uh, to these events. I mean, if you've got a phone, 
you've got a camera. Pe you can't ask people not to bring their phones into sure. uh, into an event. I mean, you're yeah. not gonna. It, it's you're, nobody's gonna show up, or everybody's gonna protest it. Yeah, and it's dangerous. I, you could be waiting on a call from your babysitter or something. Yeah. Well, and and so with the iPad, I mean that that is a you can leave that device at home. You do not need to bring that with you. And I've been to concerts where I have seen people, you know, at, at a Manchester United game, you know, at least it's a, a bright environment. Mm -hmm. But when you're at a concert and everything is dark and you've got this one idiot or and oh, hopefully just one or none, but you've got these people that are holding up their iPad above their head and uh, and you've got this, and they're in front of you and you just get this gigantic screen glow from all the people that are, you know, they do it with phones too. It's more forgivable, but the gigantic screens that we've got yeah. these days—it just annoys the heck out of me. I don't I want them you, there. I think it's we should make a sport out of it. You know, let's just bring paintball guns to these games, <laughs> and when the screens go up, you get points for taking them out. <laughs> I love it. You know, they'll be right out of the way really quickly. This is this know. is what I have for. Uh... For concerts, you know, I have my little. Oh, candle. you got a little candle flame there. Look at That's that. Because right, they don't want lighters. Well, they probably do, but I Wait don't Wait a minute. See, Valerie, when you started on TWIP, you were like. I didn't even have an iPhone. You were a Luddite completely. <laughs> You're like, I don't know about these computer things. How do you turn this thing on? You know, where's 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 the mouse? What's a mouse? That's what. <laughs> And now Valerie's all mirrorless, all digital, chucked her DSLRs, and has a digital candle on her iPhone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See, I future. hang out with you too much. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's only, we're just getting started. I'm, You're just gonna be, uh... about, I'm just about ready to get rid of my, uh, my, my notebook, my paper notebook. <laughs> what? <laughs> the one I was that's teasing not, you about? That's you... not happening. Yes, I, need, I still need paper. No. No, you don't. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the, the iPad to me, it, it's uh, I don't know. I just don't get it. Plus, why do every when I see people watch an entire performance on a little screen, it's like why did they even buy a ticket to go there in the first place? Yeah. That's that's what I don't understand. There are things that I do not photograph or that I don't even want to film. I mean, like for example, um, a year ago I was at the 14th of July. Um, fireworks display at the Eiffel Tower. It was absolutely phenomenal. The best display I've ever seen for a full hour. And I could have taken a few pictures, but I didn't because it was so amazing that I just wanted to experience it. Right. And I was certainly not going to experience it behind my iPhone. Right. I, I think that's just de defeating the whole purpose of being in the moment. and uh, and Or people watching their entire kid's concert on a tiny screen instead of living the moment and yeah. enjoying it. That just that is something that I, I just drives me crazy. Yeah, okay. it's interesting you bring that up. I was having that conversation with someone the other day about the idea of when do you put the the device down or the camera and enjoy the moment, right? Mm -hmm. Because I I remember when I was in the military going on these exercises or or jobs or whatever and not even remembering what it was like to be there because my the entire time my head was pressed against the you know looking through the viewfinder so I only experienced it at whatever field of view that my lens had at the time and my brain is constantly working so I'm not paying attention to anything my other senses because it's like okay you know is your exposure right is the composition right you know how does this look oh there's a pole coming out of the back of that guy's head take a step to the left you know so I'm thinking about the photography rather than the event itself so it's like how do you you know at, in the case of the military of course it's my job so you're, gonna, you're, you're doing that for a reason but when you're enjoying time with your family you're going to the zoo say Don you're on your honeymoon and you guys are, you know, in Madagascar or wherever you're going and do you do you take the camera or do you enjoy these special moments with your with your brand new wife? Well, I, of course I'm taking my camera, but I'm also enjoying <laughs> all of the moments with my wife. <laughs> you know, it's you know, most of the time will will be spent, you know, just enjoying each other's company. And yeah. if there happens to be that one amazing moment or that one specific location that we might go to to take pictures, the camera comes out of the bag for that one moment. It's not in my hand the entire sure. time. You're not that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I will I will mail you uh, my Google Glass so that you can take that with you. <laughs> sure. 
<laughs> but you have, to, you have to promise to take it with you all over the place while you guys are hanging out. So. Oh, we're going to do some really fun stuff. There's some caves that have like half collapsed in and there's forests growing out of them that's on our uh, our, our to-do list for the few weeks. that we're, we're just renting a car and we're driving across the country and we're just going to see everything that we can. So that's it's going to awesome. be an adventure. That is awesome. Cool. All right. All right, guys, let's move on with the show. Uh, I, remind the, I want to remind the listeners, in conjunction with Valerie's new show on street photography, Doug K has already has a show on TWIP, and it's called All About the Gear. As part of our relaunch, that show is becoming its own podcast as well, instead of just a YouTube channel, and uh, it looks brilliant. Doug has done some fantastic work in there, and I uh, can't wait for you guys to listen and see it. We just released the latest episode, which you can hear now at thisweekinphoto.com slash gear until it goes live as the new podcast. And uh, we just, what did we review? The Panasonic FZ1000. It's an all-in-one, what they call bridge camera that has a super zoom lens on it. And I think Panasonic smelled 4K blood in the water because they put 4K <laughs> in this camera too. So you can shoot 4K and extract 8 megapixel stills from the video footage. It's it's amazing. So definitely check it out. That review is at uh, thisweekinphoto.com slash gear. All right, guys, let's jump into the listener questions. This is the segment where you guys can answer a or you answer a question that has come in from the listeners. This week's question, uh, let's see, what does it say? It says, one of the listeners says, I would like to get either a website review or a portfolio review. Can you suggest someone who will give it to me straight? I need to know how I can step up my work. Don Komarechka, where and this this is kind of indicative of an issue that's on the web, right? So people giving these fluffy, you know, they don't want to say anything negative, or either you don't say anything negative or you don't say anything at all. So you end up with a whole bunch of wow, that's a great shot, you know, and nothing to help you push push the Sisyphus rock forward. So what what do you say? Yeah, well, no, I completely agree with you, Frederick. You can pretty much judge the quality of your picture by the number of positive remarks on it. The fewer positive remarks you get, the crappier your image is. And, <laughs> That's uh, awesome. and but but it doesn't give you the feedback that you need to to improve, right? There, there's yeah. no constructive criticism involved in that process. You know, you don't learn anything when somebody says "nice picture," right. uh, or especially when somebody doesn't nice say anything at all. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or you must have a nice camera. Yeah. Um, but. There are places online uh, specifically designed for this kind of stuff. There's a couple of forums. I think we might even put one in the show notes there where people are – they're there for the tough love. They're there for the, the brutal and honest truth of it. Um, but you know what? If you contact a professional photographer, uh, you know, some people charge for it. Some people are willing to just banter back and forth via email. But if you just – even join a local photo club. Uh, a lot of these places will offer you critiques, and these are the people that are not just the generic nice guys. These are the people that generally, you know, if you uh, say you want help, they're going to give you the feedback that is helpful yeah. uh, to say, okay, well, you should crop it this way, or your exposure is off, or did you think about, you know, changing the composition, raising the camera higher or lower, or how many shots did you take to get to this point, and just give you some mental feedback to help you refine your process. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have to be negative. You know, these can just be questions that are asked by the person looking at the photograph for yourself to answer. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know what? If uh, I'm going to put this out there, maybe it's going to be crazy, but um, if anybody wants to have a photograph just, you know, commented on, feel free to even just send me an email. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I. I don't mind. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to go into a, an, an entire you know, uh, rundown of it, but I'll give you a paragraph as to what you can improve. And I'm sure a lot of other professionals, if they've got the time to do it, they'll do it as well. Um, the forums online, people spend their entire days. You know, If you're an amateur photographer and you love commenting on this stuff, there are people that will give you the feedback that you want. But you could also consider, I know, I'll leave this one for Valerie because she's active in the Arcanum. Mm -hmm. um, but that's a great place to get that kind of feedback as well. There's many venues out there. Absolutely. Valerie, yeah, I was going to mention that. So the Arcanum, right? That's kind of what the Arcanum was designed for so that you can get substantive feedback from someone, right? Oh, and, and not only from the master, but from your 19 fellow apprentices. So, uh, yes, uh, every four levels, mm -hmm. you get a live critique, which is recorded, goes into the Arcanum library. Um, so it's it's done on, on a Google Hangout with your master. But before my apprentices come for their critique with me, they meet with one another 
in small groups, sometimes through Hangouts, or, and they all do check the images that they post. They have to narrow 20 images down to five for the critique. So, and then they, they make changes as they see fit. They all constructive criticisms. I mean, yeah, if you made it a square crop, you probably would have a stronger image, or maybe that would be a better black and white color. Mine isn't street photography. Um, so that is very helpful. They learn so much. Uh, I mean, just that in itself, I think is well worth the price of the tuition for the Arcanum because I do critiques online um, as part of my business and uh, you know just to get a, a critique uh, every so often is well worth well worth the, the membership in my opinion uh, and they really learn a lot it's just amazing yeah yeah it's so. a it's a, it's a really interesting um, sort of metaphor that that you guys have, you Trey, etc. And I'm in the Arcanum as well, but not as active as you are, Valerie. <laughs> so it is. Uh, it's an amazing metaphor of how things work in terms of that master apprentice and the wisdom of the crowd giving you feedback rather than, you know, the the whitewashed sort of feedback of yeah, you did a great job, you know, which. Which is encouraging. It'll make you keep shooting or want to keep shooting, but it's also will give you a false sense of security. Like, uh, I put a couple of links in the show notes here. And we'll put them in the blog post. There's a forum called Brutally Honest Photography Critique Forum that people can check out and proceed at your own risk because they will give you brutally honest critiques. And then um, there's another blog post that I wanted that I linked to in there that it's called <laughs> the blog post is called Chances Are You Suck. Right. So, so essentially what it says is, you know, all of the rampant sort of positivity that's online with regard to feedback on photography is actually detrimental to people that are actually trying to learn and get better on photography because it'll give them a false sense of security. And part of that is part of the, the, the negative feedback, according to this article, is that there's this whole mob mentality that if you, you know, if, if you do some if you say something too negative, then people will mob onto you, you know, and call you out for being a troll or whatever. So you just say something nice and, you know, be, be, go on with your day, right? Which does no one any good, no one any good if, especially if you have something good to say that will help that photographer get better. So, yeah, definitely check those out. It's called, one of them is called Chances Are You Suck, and the other one is Brutally Honest Photography Critique Forum. I'd like to add something, although I, I think Don is extremely generous to offer you know people to send in a, an image. Uh, I get so many requests every day, and there's no way. I mean, it, it, it breaks my heart sometimes. I just have to say sorry, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's all I would do all day. And uh, so I, I can't. I, I have to actually charge a fee for critiques and portfolio reviews because it's the only way I can do it. Otherwise, I would have, you know, a dozen a day. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I would yeah. do. I could barely fit in my arcanum critiques right now. So, uh, but yeah, the, so don't expect. People, you know, people, photographers that you admire, don't expect them to, to, you know, go and check out your website and give you. I mean, they'll, yes, they can look at it, and that's what I do sometimes. You know, I'll sit, I look at it, and I, but I can't do a critique because yeah. that takes, you know, five images takes a good half hour, yeah. and so imagine when people ask you to give them your to give them their your opinion on a on an entire portfolio, so yeah. But I mean, it's I, not I because, do... it's not because we don't we don't want to. It's because you like you said, Valerie. It's just a simple time thing, yeah. right? I mean, there's only there's only 24 hours in a day, and you gotta you got kids to feed and other stuff <laughs> to do. Don, and that's I'll, I'll echo that as well. You know, like when I uh, like I do uh, portfolio reviews and I charge for that as well. You know, as a proper service, where I'll sit down with somebody uh, either in person or online, and I'll go over as a conversation and figure out exactly what direction they want to go in, and then figure out how their work fits into that direction, and really build valuable feedback. Yeah. What I'm referring to, like in emails, which I get probably as many as you do, Valerie. Uh, I I don't give like 
in-depth uh, critiques. I'll sometimes write like a, a two or three sentence thing, just basically asking questions for the other person to pick up and run in that direction. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, when somebody's just starting up, that's all they need. Yeah. And uh, you know, if they're expecting more, well, then you know, you can you can book me for for something bigger. Not because uh, I, I just I want to charge for everything, but just like you both said, <laughs> to make a living, uh, I, I, I have to keep the lights on. And if if I'm just you know doing sort of in-depth work, uh, you know, I can't pay the bills with compliments. So. Yeah. And, oh, you, uh, and you have mouths to feed now, Don. So yes, exactly. And, and, and you know, I mean, it's it's our expertise. I mean, it's just like you don't bring your car in for an estimate without paying for the diagnosis. I right. mean, it's this, or diagnostic, whatever. Yep. Uh, so yeah, it, you know, it's the same. It's the same thing. I mean, people that, just because it's not tangible doesn't mean it can be. It's gonna be free. You right. know, and, and right. a lot of people think well, it's only your time. So you can't put. <laughs> I have very limited amount of time in a day, right. and uh, and and I love doing it, and it's it, and I same I do business consult consultations and uh, and uh, critiques and portfolio reviews online, but I of course I mean this is part of my business. And how do people get in touch with you, Valerie, to get that portfolio review? Uh, just through my website, they just go in the contact and and fill out what what they're looking for. If I can help them, I can't. I do. If I can't, I'll just hopefully be able to direct them somewhere else because, of course, I can't. You know, if somebody has a portfolio of model shoots, I'm not qualified to, you know, to give them my expertise because I'm not. I uh, that's not at all what I do. So, um, but you know, for general photography and street photography, I, I it really helps to have your work critiqued, and and I highly recommend it. I mean, I see it just through my experience with the Arcanum, and I've done dozens and dozens of critiques already uh, since April, and just just even the others learning from watching all those critiques. They have access to all the critiques in the entire library and all disciplines and just watching critiques because we do the we do the critique on Google Plus with screen share. So you see the image that's being critiqued live. And then you watch the YouTube video and um, and they learn so much in all disciplines. So it is really a good way to improve your work for sure. Critique, critique is good. Don Komoresko, what about you? You you put it out there that people can uh, engage you for at least some light critique where should they go uh, doncom.ca is uh, is is where like you can find again my work is sort of a, a niche area of landscape and infrared and, and macro photography and uh, and oftentimes I point people towards resources that they might need if they're getting into any of these weird things to get themselves started um, and yeah, just uh, fill out the contact form, and and I'll be more than happy to you know to sit down and and work with you towards you know honing your skills or at least finding the style that you're after. And I think you know what that's the biggest problem that a lot of photographers have that are looking for critiques. There's still something of a of a wandering photographer. They haven't landed on what's really their passion yet, and yeah. so they need some feedback to figure out exactly what direction they need to go in. Um, and uh, I yeah I love it when I, I I've, I've sat down with somebody uh, it was two weeks ago now and I showed them some of their work and there was a constant theme uh, in in their work a lot of their images if not all of them had people looking away from the camera and I pointed that out to them and they said you know what you're right almost all of my images have people looking into something and then he took that away and he kind of realized that that's a direction where he now wants to try and branch off his work and try and create something from that same idea but he hadn't realized it on his own so it's yeah. kind of fun what you can discover it's almost like uh, therapy photography therapy look at that you gotta <laughs> help, help people understand things about themselves right that's right very cool. All right, guys, let's move into the picks of the pick of the week segment. This is the segment where you guys can recommend something to the this week in photo masses, as long as it is somehow related to photography. Valerie, I'm going to go with you first. What's your pick of the week? Um, it's a book, and uh, it's called "Film Is Not Dead: A Digital Photographer's Guide to Shooting Film." So it's by Jonathan Car uh, Canlis and Kristen Kalp. It's published at New Writers. <laughs> It's a it's a hardcover book, which kind of is unusual. I was really surprised when uh, when I saw it in a hardcover, and I think that's the only way it's available. And, and it's pretty expensive at thirty eight dollars, but it pretty much if you've never shot film before and you want to pick up a ten dollar camera at the garage sale uh, and try it, and it's it, it that would be a good book to start because it goes from. I mean, it goes from start to finish, and where to have your film. I mean, it's not a, about doing the developing yourself necessarily, but where to have it done and so forth. Um, and the reason why I'm pointing that out, that, that book out, is because 
I see so many people should film these days, yeah. picking up really funky old cameras and you know they love the retro look they buy a few rolls of film and and then they go out and they they limit themselves and and they experiment and a lot of those people have never shot film before so uh, it, it's it's awesome there, there are even people on my workshops uh, that come for the weekend workshops especially uh, that shoot film for street photography and so I feel like it, it's it's doing a little comeback and and I hope it's not dead because we have a lot of a lot to learn from the film days and uh, and it's it's fun anybody can pick up a cheap uh, SLR now for you know twenty dollars and uh, and play with it so yeah and and start creating images yeah it's the romance of film is not dead you know it's uh, it's definitely and I actually own that book too Valerie it's yeah. a really, yeah, it's a really, really good book, and I think it, it's it's one of those books that should be on most digital photographers' bookshelves, just so that you know you understand your roots, where you came from. You know, yeah. it's film. All right, thanks, Valerie. That's perfect. Film is not dead. Don Kramarechka, what's your pick of the week? Well, I, I want to echo one thing about Valerie's pick here quickly. Uh, just behind me, uh, if you're watching the video stream, if not, I'll, I'll describe it. It's it's kind of covered in uh, drapes right now because it's being repaired. Is a uh, a camera that's more than 100 years old. Uh, it's an 11 by 14 uh, large format film studio camera that I'm in the process of restoring and I will be using uh, to to take some images just more for the experience than for any practicality um, but it is fun to think about if I were to take a piece of film that big and get it scanned that's about two gigapixels worth of resolution from yeah. a camera that's over a hundred years old it's kind of amazing what you can still do with some of that uh, you know old technology yeah. uh, if you do it right and it is a dying art uh, and maybe this is why a lot of people are you know finding the need to pick it up and explore it again. Yeah. I found when I started exploring film for the very first time, uh, it was a completely different experience. I learned more in one day of making mistakes shooting film and not getting one valuable image than I did if I had gone out and used my digital camera and gotten some mediocre shots that same day. Yeah. You know, a lot of it's a learning process and film can help you learn so much. So, uh, Definitely. Yeah. And film, and the whole, one of the, one of the things that I preach on the show all the time is light has not changed since you've been on the planet. You know, it's been it's been generally the same the same physics applied when you first stepped foot on the planet till today. You know, and photography hasn't changed much either. You know, the fundamentals of of uh, you know aperture and composition and shutter speed and ISO, all those things are the same in the film world as they are in digital. Only in the digital world, you have much more flexibility. For example, you can't change your ISO with just a flick of a dial. You know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a roll of film at that point and you're stuck you know so yeah yeah definitely so Dan, you have, your pick though is not related to film though no it? it isn't it's it's quite new and cutting edge uh, I've just picked up the Microsoft Surface Pro 3 and this is a beautiful beautiful tablet um, and I've, I've been looking at a replacement for my uh, my iPad for quite a while I've got the iPad 2 it's getting a little bit long in the tooth mm -hmm. uh, but I wanted something that could like I could take on the road with me and it could be my laptop because I don't really want to carry multiple devices. If I can condense things down, uh, all the better, especially if I'm going to be doing some traveling later this year. Uh, they, ma they make these things now. I mean, it's, it's pretty thin, but it's got a 12-inch screen. Uh, from the reviews I've been reading and from the tests that I've done, it has one of the best screens on a mobile device. Uh, and with a few tricks, it can be color calibrated quite well. Nice. Um, there's a few growing pains with this. A lot of it's in software, uh, but I'll still make it my recommendation because with an i7 processor and 8 gigs of RAM on the higher end models, I mean, it can replace anybody's laptop, even for some pretty intensive work. And I've, I've done some work on it. Uh, and it, it's speedy, it's snappy, it's exactly what I need. But the extremely high resolution screen, Windows works pretty well. I mean, there's some uh, high DPI screen scaling that's great that, that Windows makes it usable. Photoshop doesn't. And so Photoshop right now, if I were to fire up Photoshop, uh, the icons and the menus are so minuscule, you can barely click on them properly when you're using a mouse, mm. let alone the touchscreen or the pen interface. And uh, Adobe has what they call an experimental feature right now, uh, where you can uh, enhance the, the UI and add scaling and make everything bigger. And it looks like you're running on a computer from 20 years ago at like 640 by 480, and there's almost no room for the image. You need something in between Adobe. Yeah. Uh, but this is a software thing, and that will be fixed. And, and so I'm, I'm hopeful that, that that comes sooner rather than later. 
The only other downside to this thing, there's no SIM card. So I can't use cellular data when I'm out and about. I can tether it to another device, sure, and, and that works. But I was a little bit disappointed at the cost of these things that there's no cellular data connection. Uh, but all in all, I'm, I'm thrilled with this thing. No, is it is the, the no, no SIM card on the lower end version or just no SIM card in general on any Doesn't of Doesn't matter. Things? You spend $2,000 on the high-end model, you don't have a SIM card slot. Huh, interesting. Can you yeah. at least tether it to your phone somehow? Yeah, yeah. So it's got Wi-Fi, and so I've got a Wi-Fi tethering, but that means now I've got to take my phone, and I've got to go and yeah. get it unlocked, and then when I go overseas, I have to not just get a data plan for a tablet. I have to get a, a full phone uh, a contract, or not contract, but a, a card that can be used for that. It's a lot more hassle for me to have my phone involved in that process when I wasn't planning on bringing my phone yeah. uh, anyhow. So it's not a perfect device, but it's still good enough that I'm going to recommend it for people that need something Portable, small, don't want a laptop, and easily want to consume stuff and produce stuff. Yeah, uh, two, two grand, right? Well, I mean, that's for the 512 gig model, uh, and so I, I went all out because I wanted to take a database of stuff with me as well. Uh, but they start at like eight or 900 bucks, uh, and then they go up from there if you want a more powerful processor and more RAM and more space. And so there's a, there's a uh, sort of a scale there depending on what you need. But the, the screen and the battery and all that stuff is the same, so you get the same awesome screen no matter which device you're on. Yeah. And for me, like when I do presentations at camera clubs or, or uh, anywhere, um, I like to work in a calibrated environment, but if I'm doing my presentation off of my iPad, which I had been in the past, I can't. Uh, there's no way for me to calibrate to the projector, so that solves a lot of problems here. It, yeah. yeah, it's pretty fun. Very cool, very cool. Well, you know, just to note that Valerie's pick does not require a SIM card, batteries, or a screen, <laughs> and is only $38. Don, yours does, and is two grand plus. <laughs> yeah, well, especially because it, it's so much more useful when you have their little keyboard attachment for it. Oh, the magnetic this, thing, yeah. Uh, it, it's so secure. This is the best mobile keyboard that I've seen on any of these devices, but it costs 130 bucks on its own. And yeah. like, it, it's a necessity. You can't get, a, uh, get away without it. So, yeah. Yeah. I, hope, I hope Apple goes in that direction. With the, I think the next Air should be like that, right? So it's, it's essentially just the screen with a detachable keyboard that you stick on there and then you're good to go. I don't know. But, all right, hey, cool. Well, Microsoft is leading the pack then, I guess. In some ways, yeah, yeah. Lead from behind, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So my pick of the week is this guy. It's a, a lens that I just got a couple days ago, and it is a 45 millimeter f 2.8 Leica or Panasonic Leica macro lens. Don, you can appreciate that. Look at that thing. I'm I'm loving this lens. I haven't shot a whole lot with it, other than just around the house. But the images out of this thing, it's it's image stabilized. It has yeah, it's it's just like the quintessential lens for the micro four thirds format if you're gonna shoot macro. Valerie, I wish I had this when I came out to Paris with you so that I could do like, you know, little detail shots around mm -hmm. the city and all that. And look how tiny this lens is. It's yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Those lenses are also great for portraiture too. And uh, with the stabilizer, usually they put a more robust stabilizer in the macro lenses than they do for other lenses. I'm not sure if it's the same with this particular model, but that means they're great in low light too. So it, you know, you could leave that lens on your camera the whole time and uh, it, it's very versatile. Um, I'm looking forward to doing that because, you know, I like portraiture as well. This lens, uh, kind of price-wise, splits the difference between you guys a little bit. This is around 800 and change for this little time. Isn't that crazy? Something this little is like 800 bucks, you know? But it has the, it has the Leica name attached to it. That's, yeah, it moved that decimal point over. Which, by the way, I went and visited the Leica yeah, store. Yeah, you did. Yeah, here in San Francisco. They just opened up last week, a brand new Leica store, mm -hmm. and they extended an invitation to This Week in Photo to do a meetup or two there. So mm -hmm. we may be having some Leica-branded TWIP meetups happening in San Francisco, so keep an eye on the site for that. I, I'm not picky. I'll shoot Leica. You know, tell them, <laughs> let them know. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> you, wait a minute. I thought you were like a diehard Fuji convert. No, no, no. Like, you know what? I, I'll, I'll, I'll try out a Leica. <laughs> you know, for that, I'll try it. You know, yeah, whatever. I'll try it. I'll, I'll second that, yeah. <laughs> I actually, I shot Leica for the first time a couple days ago. I had never shot a Leica camera. So. And you left the store without it. I left the store without it, Wow, yes. I'm impressed. Because yeah. apparently you have to have money to buy them. And, 
<laughs> it's that little, that little detail that no one told me about. But yeah, amazing cameras, amazing store, and you know they had in the store on display this block of aluminum that the one of the actual blocks of aluminum that the chassis gets formed out of. It's just amazing to see the chassis and. Oh, the, yeah. They, uh, they, you know, they put some work into those bodies. It is not a cheap process putting one of those cameras together, and apparently it's worth it because they last forever and ever. So, yeah, if you're in San Francisco, definitely go check them out. They're over, uh, they're close to the Chinatown entry gate over there, so pretty easy to find. And the good part is that Leica stores worldwide usually have some pretty cool exhibits uh, from, you know, pretty big names. So yeah. that's a great opportunity to have one in your city. That's right, yeah. And Twip will be there hanging out with Leica. Look at that. Rubbing elbows with the expensive cameras. And you know what? I was in there, just for the record, uh, I was in there with my my, my buddy Karaminder, and we were doing video of, like, around the store, and he did a little stand-up of me in the store. And guess what I shot it with? The Panasonic. Boom. GH4, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, but not we didn't even have like a glass on the camera. It was just regular Panasonic glass. Cool. All right, guys, we are at the end of the show. I want to thank Squarespace.com for their support. Valerie, where can people go to keep up with you? Um, my website, ValerieJardinPhotography.com, and I think everybody knows how to spell it by now. I don't um, know. I don't know. <laughs> don't assume. V a l e r i e j a r d i n photography, all in one word. And then I'm on Twitter, Google Plus, and Facebook. You could just uh, Google my name. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it just, comes up pretty quickly now. Yeah, yeah. Just look for Valerie. You'll be the first one to pop up. And I'll be on the Twip website soon. Slash Street. Yep. Thisweekinphoto.com slash street will be Valerie's oh new home on the web. Very cool. All right, Mr. Don Komarechka, where can people go to connect with you? Well, I like to save people the misfortune of having to spell out my last name. <laughs> uh, so uh, you can find me at doncom.ca, so D-O-N-K-O-M.ca, and all my links online are there. You'll find me most active on uh, on Google+, and, uh, and so that's kind of where I find uh, you know the, the best audience to throw up all my new work. So if you want to keep up to date with what I'm doing, especially if I'm traveling, then that's where you'll find me. Very cool. Awesome. Always a pleasure to have you both on the show. Thank you. And for congratulations. Coming. Thank you. There you go. Congratulations, Don. Next time we talk, you will uh, you'll be a married man, right? And and I'll have some adventures to share. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. All right, and listeners, you can always keep up with this week in photo at thisweekinphoto.com or Valerie will be at thisweekinphoto.com/street when we launch that very shortly here. And you can find Doug K and his All About the Gear show at thisweekinphoto.com slash gear. If you want to touch base with me, you can find me at my website at frederickvan.com. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.